0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Ultimate Triumphal Entry. It's really The Triumphal Entry Part 3, The Ultimate Triumphal Entry, and we're going to be finishing up in Daniel 9, 26-27. And we talked about last week prophetic shock. It was a shocking passage that we looked at. Have you ever gotten an electric shock? A real good one? Growing up on the farm we got lots of shocks. Because we had electric fences, you had electric fences to keep the cows in and, and everything else out, out. Uh, but I, many, many times there were places where we, as kids, we would accidentally grab the fence, you know, and you know, just remember that shaking, shaking, shaking. You can't get your hand off of it. It was like, oh, I hated that. Uh, or we'd think the fence was off, you know, we'd say, okay, go fix the fence, and if it's unplugged, and it wasn't unplugged. Ooh, we had, to, we had some hot times. Or we also had this fence that we, and I've talked about before, with a fence that was like a gate. And it was you could drive the tractor through it and the gate would swing open and it had these hanging um, kind of like plastic fences, fence threads hanging down. And that's why if the cows try you could drive the tractor through it, not get a shock, but the cows couldn't try to get out. And if they did, they'd put their nose against those hanging electrical threads and they'd jump back. And and we had a game as as kids, we would try to dive through it because as you know, electric has a pulse and if you touch it in between the pulse, you don't get a shock. And we was try to see if we could jump through, dive through that without the shock. And, and they called me Lucky Chucky because I could dive through that fence time after time. And through those, I would never get a shock. In fact, I started to think I was invincible. And everybody else was getting the shock. You see them jumping and there would be these bright spark on them on the shoulder or their forehead or something as they dove through. And I, Lucky Chucky, I could go through it anytime. And I'll never forget the time I got the shock. Wow. I, I never jumped through that fence again because it was a shock. Well, we're going to see, I could tell you some other ones that are probably not appropriate up front about electrical fence. But anyway, uh, I will say this, don't ever go to the bathroom on an electric fence. Anyway, but I, that's all I'm going to say. Farm kids get in a lot of trouble. So, their, their dads are too busy out working, bailing hay and stuff. Their kids get in a lot of trouble. Prophetic shock. Last week we looked at prophetic shock. And we're in for another one today. Now, we're really in Mark chapter 11. We started out in Mark 11, and we saw the triumphal entry. We did part one. Then we jumped over to Luke 19, which is a parallel passage. And we did part two, the parallel passage of the triumphal entry, which we saw the triumphal entry became a tearful entry. Remember we saw that last week? Because the religious leaders didn't recognize the day and the time of the Messiah's coming. And there's no excuse because God had made it very, very clear. He had told them exactly when the Christ was coming. We looked at Daniel 9, 24 to 26. Let me just review by reading that. In Daniel 9, 24 to 26, let me start with prayer. Father, we pray as we look at your word now that your spirit would take our hearts that have been opened up through worship and prepared through worship and and help us to really hear your word and your spirit would really speak to our hearts and, and open our minds to the truth of your word and also soften our hearts so that you can work in them and, and, and take us a step forward spiritually. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24, Daniel 9, 77s are decreed for your people. This is a Prophecy, vision that Daniel's getting. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble." After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we're going to stop right there and then pick up there today. But we saw the shocking prophetic prediction from this. If you weren't here, get the CD, get the podcast, go on the YouTube, whatever. But, but here, because this is really part two. But if you pull out the insert that I gave out today... There's a graph on here which kind of which explains that. There's also two books listed on here too: "The Coming Prince" by Sir Robert Anderson and "The Search for Messiah" by Mark Eastman and Chuck Smith. Very, very good books. I have the second one, "The Search for Messiah." I have several copies on the table out back, and I'm getting more copies coming in. But if you don't want to wait, go home and order it yourself off the internet. Get these. these that is an excellent, excellent book to study to just the prophecies about Jesus. You, you, you see the prophecies in the Old Testament and it's impossible that Jesus is not the Christ. It's impossible that he isn't that he the Messiah. It, it's, the proof is there. It's not a matter of proof. It's a matter of open hearts. It's amazing the proof that God has given us of who Jesus Christ is. So read, especially grab the search for Messiah. Read those. Excellent, excellent. But there's a graph here on top that I... Pulled off the internet, and I can't remember where I got it from, but off the internet. But you look at the graph here, and just to kind of review what we looked at last time, Daniel's prophecy was 70 times 7. There's 70 sevens. 70 years are broken into the seven. That's 490 years, okay? In the, the first seven, Daniel says seven, then he says 62, and then he says one. The first seven, the first seven times seven is 49 years. That's how long it took to rebuild Jerusalem. Fifty years. In fact, look at the graph there. Seven sevens, 49 years to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah. Ezra was the temple Nehemiah, uh, Jerusalem. That's how long it took to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Okay, 50 years. Uh, Then, the... Next 62 sevens, okay, you add that to the seven, the first seven, and then 62, you come up with 69. You have 69, and Daniel's you're adding it up here, 483 years for the Messiah to come. That's how long it took from the, from the announcement. I'm going to go through it with you in just a minute. The exact day of the triumphal entry is predicted. And Look at the sheet I just handed out because I'm going to really lay this out for you here. Daniel nine twenty five from See underneath the books there? From the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the Messiah, comes. 7 plus 62 is 69. You 69 times 7 years and it's 483 years. This is why I wrote it down for you. <laughs> 483 times 360, because they didn't use 365 days. The Hebrew prophetic year was 360 days at the time of Daniel's writing. That equals 173,880 days. Now, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem is in Nehemiah chapter 2. See where I've listed 2, 1 through 8. King Artaxerxes gives this decree on the first day of Nisan and his 20th year. We don't know what Nisan is, but I'll tell you what it is. It's March 14th. We can look at it very easily in history. March 14th, 445 B.C. According to Daniel's vision here, you add 173,880 days, and you end up on April 6th, 32 A.D. That's the exact day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem and presented himself as the Messiah. The exact day is laid out in the book of Daniel. That's why Sir Isaac Newton said, the entire truth of Christianity can be proven just by Daniel 9 alone. God has showed us exactly when the Messiah was coming. He showed the religious leaders who should have known very clearly when the Messiah would come, exactly, to the day. You can't get any more clear than that. But why didn't they see it? And why don't people see it today when there's this kind of proof? Their hearts are closed. It's, not a, it's a matter of closed minds and, and, and hard hearts. That's what it's a matter of. And then he also talked about, Daniel also prophesied the Messiah would be cut off. We know that means to be killed. We talked about that literally to be uh, killed by piercing. But as verse 24 pointed out, we read that just a few minutes, that the death of the Messiah would accomplish paying for our sins and atonement, the atonement for our sins. And that we know that happened on the cross. Then we talked about Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. Who did Daniel say would destroy it? By the people of the ruler who is to come the Romans. They destroyed it and the ruler who is to come is the antichrist which will ru- rule the revived roman empire very soon i believe so jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed in 70 ad by this ruler we saw how it was prophesied that the messiah before the, all throughout the old testament and if you get the book the search for messiah you'll see the incredible prophecies the messiah had to come to the second temple The rebuilt temple. All throughout the the prophets, you see that the the temple was going to be rebuilt, just as Daniel said, and the Messiah would come to that temple. But the temple has been destroyed. So what does that mean? He can't come any longer. That's why the people in the streets of Jerusalem were weeping when the, the temple was destroyed, because they knew the Messiah had not come. The prophecies had failed, but they didn't fail, did they? The Messiah did come, didn't he? But many missed that in their spiritual blindness. But we know what that means. The Messiah cannot come for the first time now because there is no second temple. He had to come to that second temple. An interesting aside to this whole situation is that the Jewish Christians were not killed in Jerusalem. Did you know that? The Jewish Christians were not wiped out in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Because the... the, the 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 Jewish Christians were on their alert. What what had warned them to be on the alert? What passage in Scripture? Matthew 24. Matthew 24, many warnings about this time that Jesus gives. We'll see a few of those a little bit later. And what happened, though, just before 70 AD, the Romans had surrounded Jerusalem, surrounded it. There was no way out. But then all of a sudden they withdrew. They still don't know why they withdrew. If you read Josephus, you'll see that they withdrew for no apparent reason. Human reason. But then the Christian prophets began to warn the people as they were drawing. The, the, the uh, Jewish people became very self-confident and said, Oh, see, they're scared of us. They're leaving. We're okay. We're safe. But the Christian Jewish prophets began to warn the people and said, Remember Matthew 24, and this is the time for us to make our escape. The Holy Spirit is warning us. The prophets of, of the New Testament church began to warn them. And sabius I'm going to read you his quote, Eusebius, one of the early church fathers, wrote, The whole body, however, of the church of Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation, given to men of approved piety before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond Jordan called Pella. They crossed the Jordan to Pella. Interesting that Pella means, it's a Hebrew word, means marvel of God. That's where they went. The Romans then returned a few months later, surrounded the city. Not a single Christian was left. Not a single Jewish Christian was left in the city. But the inhabitants were butchered by the millions. The the rest that weren't killed were enslaved. It was completely destroyed. And yet because they had paid attention to God's word and prophetic warning, they were saved. Very interesting, isn't that? So... What about the last seven years? We saw what led up to the the first 69, but there's the 70th week. They call it weeks. The 70th seven, the last seven years. There's a prophetic gap. These have not been fulfilled yet. The 70th seven, the last seven years on earth, have not been fulfilled yet. They're still in the future. The Old Testament prophets often blurred events. They, uh, They often bunched together events very closely together that were really separated by many, many years. The first and second coming. You see many prophecies in the Old Testament of the first and second coming and it appears that Jesus is not only going to The the Messiah was not only going to die, but he was going to be a conquering Messiah. How does that work? Well, there's two comings now that we can see, the first and second coming. But the prophecy, which was only separated by a verse, was thousands of years in between. And so we we see many times they only saw the the mountaintop. Prophets saw the mountaintops. They weren't shown the valleys in between often. If you look at the insert that I've given out again, you see when we get to the end of the 69 weeks, look at the first 49 to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Then we see the next 434 years. That takes us through the 69 sevens where we have the presentation of the Messiah, April 6, 32 AD. And then God's prophetic clock stops for the Jewish people. The prophetic clock for the Jewish people stops because we have now entered the church age, the age of the church. We have the cross and the resurrection and the destruction of Jerusalem, and we have the church age, but the church age is winding down. I believe it's very, very close, and it's going to end. The person who put this graph together believes it's going to end at the rapture. They believe in a pre-tribulation rapture before the seven terrible years come, that God is going to come and rapture his church, take up his believers. We hope for that. We pray for that all the time, but remember, prepare for it not to happen. We pray for the pre-tribulation rapture, but but if the rapture happens in the middle of those seven years or at the end, we have to be prepared because it's not clear as some people want you to believe it is. We're hopeful if we get the vote. We all vote for that, right? But but just prepare because we don't really know for sure when that rapture is happening. We're hoping. But we do know what starts this last seven years. Look what it says a covenant of Israel with the Antichrist. That's going to spark the 70th week. The seventy the last seven years. Okay? When the church age is fulfilled and we have a possible rapture, we God's prophetic clock. Begins to tick again. The prophetic clock for the Jewish people is restarted. It's the last seven years of world history. And it starts with the Antichrist covenant with the people of Israel. And we're gonna, we will see this final seven years activated here today. In these last couple of verses of Daniel. Which leads up to the final, the ultimate triumphal entry. Which is the second coming. Jesus is going to come back. To the city of Jerusalem. He's not going to be coming riding on a donkey. and He's not going to be coming to be killed. He's going to be riding on something else we'll see in a few moments. And he's going to come to hand out judgment and salvation for those who are looking for him. Put on your belts. We're in for a wild ride here. Daniel 9. Start with 26 again and we'll go through 27 today. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. Prophetic gap here. Now now we start over again. Last sevens is starting on. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is de- decreed is poured out on him. So we see that the temple is going to be rebuilt. A third temple is going to be rebuilt. Taking this time frame here, he says the end, verse 26b, the end, the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy, the 70th seven. And who, who is going to come in and, and destroy? Who's, who's involved here? The Romans. Who destroyed the city? The Romans. So we know that the ruler who is to come is going to come from the revived Roman Empire. We see it all set up by the European Union, okay? So now that's how we know. The people who destroyed the city are who? The Romans. So we know the ruler who is to come is going to be the ruler of the Romans. And that's the revived Roman Empire. European Union is all set up for already. He's going to be, this ruler is going to be the Antichrist. He's called in Revelation and different places the Antichrist. He's going to be a superman, he's going to be possessed by Satan. He's going to have supernatural powers. He's going to solve the world's problems. He's going to bring peace. He's going to put an end to a lot. He's going to fight a lot of wars. If you study the book of Daniel, he's going to fight a lot of wars. But the the effect of his wars, he's going to put everybody in place. He's going to bring peace. He's going to solve the food problems. He's going to solve water problems. He's going to solve global warming problems. That's a whole other issue. But he's going to solve global warming problems. If the rapture has already happened, all the intolerant haters are that's us will be gone. All the intolerant haters are gonna be gone, and it'll be very easy to have world peace because only the peaceful, loving people will be left. Not. Alright. Actually the world's gonna be in chaos. That's what's gonna set it all up. The whole world's gonna be looking to this leader to, to find some balance because the whole world is gonna be in chaos. The USA is going to be gutted. If all the Christians are gone, they're going to, we're going to lose 50% of our population. Not. <laughs> we'll be lucky if 50% of some evangelical churches get raptured, right? You know, we, the way the church is going, and the way... It, probably, maybe... Best guess scenario, 10% of the country is what we would call a a, a true Christian, someone who's really put their faith, not talking about someone who's culturally Christian, but the Bible says a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and given their life to him. Ask Jesus to forgive our sins, the wrong we've done, and we put our faith and trust in him and we get forgiveness for God and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we are born again. Jesus used the word. If you don't like the word born again, sorry. Jesus used it. I know there's a lot of wackos out there claiming to be born again. I'm not trying to jump on that. But Jesus said you must be born again. There has to be a spiritual rebirth. Just as we're born physically, we have to be born spiritually. We have to be born. And once we do that, then we're we're a true Christian. And I would guess about maybe 10% of our country will be taken out during a rapture, whenever that is. And that will be significant because it will be a vital 10%. The Antichrist will then even solve the East crisis, the Middle East crisis, which is a thorn in the world's side for a long, long time. He's going to even solve that. Somehow he's going to work out peace between the Jews and the Muslims. And it looks to be that the way he's going to do that, he's going to allow the Jewish people to have a temple. Somehow they're going to have a temple. How's it going to work out with the mosque there and everything? I don't know. But somehow he's going to work it out. They get their temple. He's going to make them happy. He's going to make the Muslims happy. There's going to be land for peace. Who knows how he's going to work it out. But he's going to work something out. And it says here he's going to sign a covenant with Israel for seven years. A seven-year peace deal. They will think he's the greatest guy. Just a wonderful guy. They're going to love him. But he's really their worst Nightmare. He is Israel's worst nightmare because he's starting the doomsday clock, the great tribulation. He's really building, look at what Daniel says here in Daniel 9, 26 and 27. Why is he building this this temple? He's building it for himself. He's building it for himself. He's possessed by the God of this world. He's possessed by Satan himself. And for three and a half years, he's going to keep the deal. Look at the, look at the uh, graph here three and a half years. But the second three and a half years is when it goes bad. Because what he's going to do is he's going to break the covenant. Look, Daniel 20, 9 27, he's going to break the covenant. Because he's going to set up the abomination that causes desolation. That's his own image. Can you imagine the shock to the, the, in Israel when, when they have their brand new temple and they're worshiping God and they're all excited and they have sacrifices going again, which are unnecessary. Jesus is once for all, right? But, but they have this temple and all of a sudden the Antichrist walks in after three and a half years and says, stop everything. And he puts up his own image and says, you must worship my image. That's what he's going to do. He demands to be worshipped as God. Not just by the Jewish people, but the entire world. You look at the book of Revelation. Everybody has to receive the mark of the beast, the 666, forehead, hand, and, and can't buy or sell. You'll be killed if you don't take this. That's why Christians and, and Jews are going to be being killed. And and he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. The, and Think of the irony of this. The the, the the religious leaders here at this time, they had rejected the Messiah because he claimed to be God's son. They rejected Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, because he claimed to be God's son. And now they're stuck with a false Messiah who demands to be worshipped as God. In Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about this time frame and what it's going to be like. Verse 15, he says, So when you see standing in the holy place, The abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 21. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. It's going to be the start of terror. It's going to make the Holocaust look like nothing. It's, it's going to, Christians and Jews are going to be slaughtered. Anybody who won't follow the, the, the Antichrist and worship him as God, it's going to be three and a half years of tribulation until the end decreed for the Antichrist is poured out. This will happen, the end of the Antichrist will happen at the ultimate triumphal entry, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, verse 11. This is what the second coming is going to look like. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth... And their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh." Revelation 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he has done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the ultimate triumphal entry. And we see how Jesus is coming this time. (laughs) Are we in the end times? That's the question. How close is this? Are we in the end times? One of the ones I like to use to see this is the seven major prophetic signs of the second coming by Jack Kelly. You can get that on the internet. There's lots of good ones, but this is one I think is real concise. No, he gives seven signs. You, you figure out how we close. Israel will be in the land, Ezekiel 36. Check. Number 2 Jerusalem will be in Jewish hands. Luke 21:24. Check. Some of you remember when Israel wasn't in the, didn't have the land of Israel, right? And Jerusalem wasn't in their control. Number 3 A Muslim coalition armed and led by Russia will attack the Holy Land. Ezekiel 38. I'm going to read that again. A Muslim coalition armed and led by Russia will attack the Holy Land. Ezekiel 38. I can't imagine this happening. Can you imagine that happening? A Muslim coalition, Russia is setting it up because now nobody's standing between Israel, Russia, and this Muslim coalition is is forming, and it's going to happen. Read Ezekiel, Gog and Magog. Number four, the ancient Roman Empire will re-emerge as a political force. Revelation 17, 9 and 10. Can anybody say European Union? It's shocking. to You look at the ancient Roman Empire and you look at the European Union and you just it's amazing the map. Amazing. Number five, the world will embrace a single religion. Revelation 13, 8. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names who have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The world will embrace a single religion. It's coming. If the rapture happens soon, it will come very, very quickly. Right? Nothing will be standing in the way. But it's coming. Uh, the world is already prepared for this. We see bumper stickers already. You, know, you see the bumper stickers. All the religions all melded together. And we see you know, the, the Pope trying to bring everybody together under the umbrella, under the mother church. And even Muslims are part of the mother church. And you see this. It's, it's all prophetic. It's going to happen. They're all coming together. Number six. The world will accept a single government. Revelation 13.3. It's already being set up. Read, what, read the proclamations at the UN and, and how all the countries are starting to make that the, 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 the world government. It's all being set up. It will just take a spark. Some kind of world, world war catastrophe. It's all being set up where everybody's going to have to turn to, to the Antichrist to solve the problem. Number seven, the Babylon will reemerge as a prominent city in the world affairs. Revelation 18, 2 and 3. Some people say, No way. Well, some of you remember when they said the same about Jerusalem. (laughs) Some of you remember. You were alive when they said Jerusalem will never be the center focus of anything. That little backwater city. And look at it now. The belly button of the world. And it's interesting, you may not realize this, but in the article it says, Babylon is being made ready to accept its destiny as a focus of world power in end times. It's just a ceremonial city right now, but 25 years ago nobody even knew it existed at all. One of the shocks of the Gulf War was the discovery of Babylon standing there on the banks of the Euphrates River. Today there's a concentrated effort underway to complete what Saddam Hussein began and return Babylon to world prominence. It won't take long with all that oil money, let me tell you. And then, then he talks about birth pains. Matthew 24, all the birth pains, the wars and the persecutions. And the thing about birth pains is they increase. They get closer together and they increase in intensity. Take my word for it. I watched the graph 13 times, all right? So uh, they get closer together and all of a sudden, the baby. Kim remembers it much better, I'm sure. But uh, the baby. And that's what we're seeing. All the events listed in Matthew 24, they're increasing in intensity. They're getting closer together. It's happening right before our very eyes. Is the second coming close? Are we in the end times? It sure sure seems like it wouldn't take much, a a small spark. The question I have is this, and this is a far more important question Are we ready? Are we ready? In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this, and this is what I want to end with here, because this is the the part that says, are we ready? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-4, it says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. While people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief we can't says here clearly although we they should have known the exact time the Messiah was coming the first time they should have he says the second time i come it's going to be like a thief and then i you can't know the exact day but he Paul also says to the Holy Spirit's leading that we shouldn't be surprised. We can't pick the exact day, but we shouldn't be surprised because we should recognize the signs. The signs I've just been talking about, right, from Daniel and all the different verses there. As we read and watch news and world events, we should be constantly connecting the dots. That's what we're called to do so that we're not surprised. And most importantly, not just figuring out how quick it's coming, but most importantly, it should affect the way that we live each day. Whether it's 100 years from now or or, uh, 100 minutes from now or 100 seconds, it, it should affect the way that we live, understanding where, where we are in the prophetic calendar and knowing that Jesus is coming back again, and, or we're going to Him. We, we may die before He comes back again. We're, we could go to Him any moment. It should affect the way we live today. In fact, look at verse 5 there. We just did, uh, but you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Verse 5 You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Where's that helmet go? Over the brain. The, the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. That's what should be, we should be encouraging, us that, hey, Jesus is coming back soon, and we, we could be with him any moment, and let's live, let's live for him. Let's really focus on that. What if Jesus Christ came right now? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are we ready? Am I ready? Are we ready if he came right now? How would we like that? Finally you're here. Or, uh, couldn't you wait until after the Eagles game tonight? Or, you know, because we got a wrong focus? Right? Or uh, uh, we're embarrassed because of something in our life that he has convicted, the Holy Spirit has been convicting us about, and we have just held on to it, and we have said, no, we haven't surrendered it. And not that, not that I'm not saying we don't struggle, we all struggle, but it's not that we've struggled with, we have not surrendered, we have not struggled, we have just given in. Something in our life that has, has hurt our relationship with Jesus, has, has, has hurt our holiness. What do we need to do right now to get ready? What do we need to do? What would help us? Maybe it's being in a home fellowship or being discipled or one to one or dis- discipleship mentoring, or, or maybe it's confessing something. You, you've confessed it to God, but it's so strong that you know you need to go to another believer and really work, work something out and confess it and, and make it right. Maybe there's something we need to throw out of our life. I, several people have moved recently. We've helped people move, and it's amazing all the stuff they've thrown out, right? <laughs> all the things you throw out. You don't be like, I don't need this. I don't need that. But, but spiritually, it's the same thing. There's a lot of stuff in our life that we don't need. There, it's only holding us down. It's keeping us from moving forward. It could be something we like. It is something we like, right? But there's what in our life do we need to get rid of that's keeping us from moving forward spiritually? How is the Holy Spirit convicting us? And I want to ask this as the last thing. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? Are you ready to stand before God? Because whether, it's, whether we die or whether he comes back and brings us up, one way or another, we're all going to stand before the throne. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Is our name in the book of life? And there's only one way to get our name in that book. The Bible teaches it very clearly. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's only one way to get our name in that book of life, and that's putting our. Believing in Jesus, the word "believe" means to put your. It means faith. It, it's it's not me- mental, intellectual. Although we do know something, but it means the heart. We in our heart, we put our trust in our faith in Jesus Christ. His death on that cross in our place, his resurrection from the dead to prove he was the Son of God and giving us new life. We each must put our faith in Jesus Christ, and at that moment, our name is written in the book of life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer are you ready to stand before Jesus Christ the Son of God the Messiah not just the Jewish Messiah he's our Messiah he's everybody's Messiah Savior have you ever put your faith In Jesus, Do you know for sure your name is written in the book of life? You can know that right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go through religious training or religious class or wait for a religious rite or a religious person to, to do something for you. It's between you and Jesus. You can have your name written in the book of life right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. To break the power of of sin and Satan and death in our life. If we will believe in him. If we will put our trust in him. If we will put our faith in Jesus. The Jesus who died on the cross and rose again from the dead to prove he was the son of God. Right where you're sitting, just say, God, I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, your one and only son, Jesus. I believe he died for me He took my punishment, the punishment I deserved, I believe He died for me, my sin. I repent of that sin. I turn away from that sin. I don't want it anymore. I want to be forgiven. I put my faith in Jesus and I give my life to Him. If you've prayed that prayer, something amazing has happened your name has been written in a book the book of life and it's been written in blood the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has come inside of you oh you're gonna, you're gonna know it you're in for a shock because the Holy Spirit is inside of you now and your life will never be the same. The things that you used to do that God doesn't want you to do, you're going to be convicted of. Some good things that God wants you to start doing that you've never even felt like doing, you're going to feel pulled to do these things because the Holy Spirit is now living in you, and now you have a relationship with God as your Father, and He loves you, and He's going to change your life in ways that you can't even imagine, because you have been born spiritually. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me, tell a family member, friend, tell somebody that you've made this decision, so that we could help you grow in your new faith. And be excited for you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us? If Jesus were to come right now, or he were to call us home, we were to stand before him right now, what would he say? it's going to be great to go to heaven. Don't get me wrong, it's going to be awesome, but but is there going to be regret? Because he had called us to do something or give our life in some way and we held on to it and and missed out on a reward, missed out on really glorifying God completely. Missed out on fulfilling our ultimate purpose, our complete purpose in our life. Maybe there's some sin in our life that we're not battling, we're not fighting, we're not surrendering, we're not going to God's throne of grace for mercy and grace on a daily basis. We've just kind of learned to live with it. And Instead of appearing before Christ in that white robe, we're going to need a little spot cleaning. But it doesn't have to be that way. We, he's calling us, as First Thessalonians said, to live self-controlled, as children of light. What do we need to bring into the light? Talk to someone. Pray with someone. Surrender. Get rid of in our life. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Father, I pray that each one of us would be ready for Jesus. For his second coming. We'd be ready for your Holy Spirit's power to face the tribulations that that we are going to be called to face. I pray that we would be completely at your disposal so that you could use us to touch many people all around us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.